I'd like to take a minute to correct um, something I said in the podcast that was very flippant and insensitive and that I provided no context to. When I spoke about Brazilian music and spoke about it being very nasally, what I didn't make clear that I would have if I were presenting is that the music I'm listening to is primarily bossa nova, which is the most popularized and exported form of Brazilian popular music and is very much a white middle class Brazilian style. And that the nasal sound that I talked about actually comes from the sound of the language, which, like the United States, varies depending on what part of Brazil you're in. It was really irresponsible of me to speak that flippantly about a tradition that was not my own. And I want to make sure that I acknowledge that behavior because it is not something that I would want done to my own culture and that I acknowledge to all of you that it that it happened and that I do want to correct that. So please forgive me for that error. Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Brandy Pace. We recorded this via Skype last week, and I recorded my musical parts afterwards. I'm really excited about this episode because it's the first time I featured one of my banjo students on Get Up in the Cool. I love teaching this music just as much as I love playing it, and I currently have space in my schedule for lessons if you or anyone you know is looking to level up their clawhammer. Also, I have an online instructional video series for my clawhammer technique over at pitchforkbanjo.com, so visit that website to sign up or contact me for lessons. Happy banjo playing. Stick around afterwards and I'll tell you how to keep up with this week's guest, but first, here's my interview and jam with Brandy Pace. Enjoy.
Yes, Brandy. <laughs> so <Well>. good. <laughs> Thank you. Brandy Pace, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to to be here. Yeah. What what did you just play me? I thought that I had heard that song before and now I realize that I have not. Yes, yeah, so it what is, is that? Um it's called Brother Can You Spare a Dime. It's um Yarberg and Gorney. Sorry, I'm a little tangled up here. Um and it was like a depression era pop song. And um mm. Since I have have a jazz background, I love to look far back into that stuff. But, you know, the quarantine started. Everything got really, really crazy, financially crazy, health-wise, pretty unstable. And I was like, you know what? This feels feels a little bit like yeah. something I've heard before. <laughs> yeah. I'll tune back up. That's a very intense song to be a pop song. Like, yeah. I guess, in what capacity was it a, a pop song? Like, was it on the radio all so the time? I like, I who? No, yeah. it was a radio all the time, but there's like, I believe there's like a popular maybe Bing Crosby version. I can't remember oh. which old popular singer it is, but it was one of those, it was one of those like features, but I don't recall if it was like a, a radio heavy tune, but yeah, it's. Yeah. It's heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's super heavy. It's like, yeah. um, and it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit cynical about um, jingoism and war and the war machine, which I feel like is interesting lyrics to to be popular at that time as we're getting ready to do another war. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's something, and I I didn't find it in its original context. There's this um, this Abby Lincoln recording. For those who don't know, Abby Lincoln is um, real prominent jazz singer. Was a real prominent jazz singer, and there's this recording called "You Got to Pay the Band." And um, at the time, I had no idea it was um, a popular album of hers, but mm. I heard the tune and fell in love. Is it done totally differently? The way I did it is probably tempo wise more what it was originally like, but she does like this really cool, this really cool ballad with like smoky saxophone and stuff. And it's just a lovely tune. Then you listen to the words and go, whoa, like they're really talking about, talking about something there, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, that's not like a bubblegum pop song at no, all. Definitely not. Wow. Mm. But um, speaks, speaks to a lot of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you are a musician, a musician of many different disciplines. Um, I know you through old time music. Yeah, I haven't really gotten to hear you sing um, <coughs> or play other. Like I've heard like little snippets here and there that you'll like post on on Facebook maybe. But yeah, uh, my my understanding is that you studied jazz before before you got into old time music. Is that is that actually true? I don't know yeah, if I confirmed yeah. that yet. <laughs> no, I don't know if we actually talked about that, which is weird. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I went to Howard University, HU. Somebody's gonna say you know yes. listening. Um my I got an undergrad and master's in jazz studies. And so I was really into um just listening um as a high schooler, as a middle schooler and a high schooler. And why why were you interested in jazz as a middle schooler and high schooler? It's not like oh, I was an old ass kid. It's not like the most accessible music <laughs> to that age necessarily. I remember in our generation. Like, 
I heard stuff I loved, and I think anything that swings has always kind of hooked me. But I remember, mm. um, I don't know if everybody does this, but when I was a kid, like your eighth grade trip was the Washington, D.C. trip. So we went to D.C. and we went to one of the places, I can't remember. And I bought this huge box set, and it was just like swing era era mm-hmm. um, box set. Mm-hmm. And I just played that thing out. <laughs> it was just like, oh, Benny Goodman, Dorsey Brothers, super old, like, you know count basie stuff just and then i progressed a little bit and i remember my dad had a um, a friend who was a dj on a local station in atlanta where i grew up that played a lot of standards and he would always get all these cds to listen to just in his job and he passed them along to dad and passed them along to me so i got like sarah vaughn and cold train and just like all this stuff and then that was also the the age of napster so i just you know go yes. mine <laughs> Man, if I still had all my Napster I files, remember. I'm not <laughs> not advocating bypassing no. paying for musicians. <laughs> no, I mean Napster has essentially <laughs> gone mainstream at this point. So yeah. I mean, like the 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 alternatives <laughs> that we have. Yeah. But that was so. that was a really big entry point. So I was like super into Ella Fitzgerald. Didn't really know the most about what I was listening to, but. You know, like love hearing scatting and improvising, and um, mm. now I like, can actually name the people I was listening to that I really do. Sure. And it was real funny because it was like, you know, swing era jazz, and then it was like Bjork, and there was like <laughs> top 40 everything, and it was just like this big, this big swirl of teenage goodness. <laughs> I was, I was gonna ask, uh, were your friends? into jazz or was that just like a weird thing that brandy was into that you didn't get to talk to them about there was so many weird things they were just like i talked to my friends that i still have now and they talk back they're like you were just weird it was fine (laughs) (laughs) the openly nerdy brandy that that i have known in the last couple years is also the case back then you weren't like friends with a bunch of jazz nerds at that time necessarily no i was i was more the nerdy one and i had some other people who dug some stuff i was into but um my nerdiness was much more isolated which is why i'm happy for social media and some of just like the agency of being a grown-up and going to find people because i love my friends but just like the common interest aspect was not always there yeah i uh I, I was just thinking about this earlier today. Um, I'm really grateful for the friends that I still have from when I was a middle schooler and high schooler, but there yeah. aren't that many left. And yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it was, I'm really, I am really grateful for the role that social media has had in my life of introducing me to people that have become my in-person friends and that I've gotten to collaborate with um, and hang out with and share interests with. Um, so that like, like me. yes, ex- <laughs> exactly like you. Yeah. Uh, because it's good to have some friends who are just like, um, you know, aren't interested in your most, you know, personal passions and you can talk about other things with them. That's fine. But it's yeah. good to have, uh, relationships that you share things in common with. I don't know. People like to shit on social media and, and I think rightfully so, but I think those yeah. people, it's like, how did, well, where are all your friends from? 
<laughs> it's and so are you happy so with them? <laughs> I think people are, yeah. um, you know, it's such it's such a new a new thing, and I don't think people take time to look at just how new social media still is. Yeah. So you know, like remember how people talked about like talkies, and, you know, like just all this new technology. Sure. People. Yeah. I took this survey. I, I recently took this class, and there's a super old survey, and it was like how you feel about movies and going to the movies, and it was like. So it was like super extreme, like, I think movies are the source of discord in our society and, you know, people of low moral, like all this stuff. And now today we're like the movies, you know, it's just, it is what it is. But I think we're doing that with social media, like people can be extremely terrible, but we're still learning all the good stuff that they can do. And we haven't quite, we haven't quite circled around to like getting a a really comprehensive idea because... I mean, you know, where I live, the music community, none of the music that I'm into is, um, has as broad a community here as some of the other places I've been. So, mm-hmm. you know, like most here of my connections. Fort Worth. In Fort Worth, yes. <laughs> um, my, my old time connections are just a little bit in my area, but mostly in other states. And, you know, I was up in D.C., bigger jazz scene, and I have some connection here, but there's just so much of it that's, if I couldn't talk to people through social media or virtually, yeah. there, you know, there'd be so much lacking. So there's this. Speaking of friendship, there's a podcast um, called Pickle. You should you should check it out. It's it's cool for anybody, Pickle. but it's geared toward kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a U.S. version of some, I think, Aussie podcast, but it's Ethics for Kids. And it's really cool ethics because there's an e- kids. ethics for kids. It's really cool. They do like the train experiment. They do like do animal or animal sentient. Like they do all this stuff. Um, they have an episode on friendship though. And like the different types of friendship. And they go back to like Greek words and stuff. It's really, really cool. But I thought about that. You know, like you have your your anxious friends. I'm not saying this matches the podcast, but it's a cool segue. Yeah. Your anxious friends and your, I have a friend from who I've known since I was like six. And we don't do the same stuff, but she literally knows my entire life. So it's a different yeah. kind of friendship. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll have to check that out. I'm always looking for um, uh, th- things to do in the car. Um, yeah. For hypothetically when I start having to be in the car more with a kid. Hypothetically yeah. at some point. <laughs> yeah. Pickles from WMYC, and they actually have a, a few pretty cool kid podcasts, which mm. unfortunately are only like six episodes long, but they're wonderful. Yeah. So when did you start when did you start getting into old time music? Because we're about to uh, play another song that is is as far as I know, not a jazz song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um you, when did that enter your paradigm? So in terms of actual um, musicianship, this is, I don't know if it's like embarrassing or, or good. I don't know. How old am I? Is it Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Is that what you're going to say? No. <laughs> Even though I did listen okay. to Star Trek a lot, it's, it was not it. Me um, too. It's great. <laughs> musicianship wise, I, this is maybe my third year of old timing. Mm. which is very short compared to like everybody else so sometimes you know people ask i'll say it but i don't go around saying i've just been playing all time for three years or what whatever it is because um i'm still learning so i like to listen and ask lots of questions but um you know you come around jams and stuff and i think people kind of assume the 
you have a similar level of um, engagement. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I want to know all the names and all the places and all the the history and stuff. Like I'm playing catch up. Um, I've I've heard the music before, but I didn't know what it was. And we have yeah, to do how, our. How our, were like, you introduced ex- it? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. I don't remember not having heard something that sounds like that. And obviously, we're using oh. just like a. We know the terminology is whatever. Um, sure. Yeah. Pro- but I, problematic. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Super problematic. But um, the first artist that I remember listening to and like, I know that it was old time or would be called old time was Carolina Chocolate Drops. Mm. I, I'd heard plenty of other stuff, but that was the first time I listened and I knew the name of who the band was. And I actually knew what I was listening to. And then I looked back and yeah. was like, that was that was what old time was, even though I've I've heard huh. surely a lot of music that falls in under that umbrella. And that was um, I mean, it wasn't crazy long ago. It was in my 20s. Um, mm. And it's funny because I, I used to like not know bluegrass is this or whatever, whatever, what sure. how people treat the labels. So that was more lumped in. All of that was lumped together for me. But I remember telling somebody I like bluegrass and they gave me a Carolina chocolate drop CD. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Which was really cool. Cause I could, I could listen to them and I'd heard of them, but um, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm like, that was, that was my first like really cognizant, I guess, exposure to, to the music. Oh, that's, that's really great because a lot of people, their entry point into the music is something that's, um, that's coded very white and is played by white people. So that's really cool that you're like, oh, this is old time music. Um, so I've, I've been thinking about that. Um, how my first, I guess, old time exposure was, was black musicians with that history. But, um, it's even that early, like it has still been coded white up until that point, just the instrumentation of it. Sure. So, like, I learned about them first. Um, I have this memory, like, in college, I think, of seeing a clip from the Black Banjo Gathering. So that yeah. was, like, my first, I was like, oh, look at this. But it still, it still hadn't sunk in because I wasn't, you know, sitting down and really absorbing, um, like, how how white-coated it was against the history of it. I just didn't really process all of that until later and then was like, oh, you know, it's just really cool to be able to fill out things I've seen and heard. And and especially because they, um, from what I've listened to of them, they seem to not be t- too precious about those like genre labels, about like what is like heavy air quotes, you know, old time music or blues or traditional jazz, etc., which yeah. I feel like makes sense as an entry point for you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, yeah, it just kind, kind of all fits. Um, I appreciate um, being made aware of just like how much overlap there is. Um, mm. Just you know, like as I've learned more and I've processed more. Um, I tend to think a little more literally. So um, being introduced to th- something not being in a box is very helpful for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when did you first hear uh, 
sitting on top of the world, which we're going to play next? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I think I learned it through... Um, I think I learned it through a band I was in. So my first, my very first um, old time experience was really funny. I met um, my current bandmate, Dean Barber. We play together as Pace and Barber. Um, shout out to Dean. Shout out to Dean. Dean and Barber. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, sorry, Pace and Barber, not Pace Dean. Pace and Barber, <laughs> Dean and Barber. He love it. Just call it Dean and Barber. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... I, I got a banjo, and that's probably, we'll do talk about that more later, maybe. But um, Dean was the first person I was able to connect with who lived in my area who played claw hammer, because I, I decided to play claw hammer. And he was like, you know, like, hey, do you play guitar? Our, our band's guitarist is phasing out, because he, um, I think um, he just needed to make a shift in terms of scheduling and all that stuff. Um, and so I ended up playing with them. So, like, I picked up some banjo stuff as I picked it up. But, like, really, really fast. It was like, oh, hey, here's old time. And now play some gigs. So That's great. <laughs> we'd have all these long things of, you know, long list of songs. And we'd sit around, like, the, the fiddler would have jams at his house. And, you know, the the community wasn't big, but there's like a certain group of people who would come through and everybody would send recordings. And I just had like just a bunch of stuff in my email. And I think this was one of the tunes. Um, I don't remember what recording I heard first, but the Mississippi Sheik's version is the one that I clung to once I did hear it. Wow. I haven't actually heard. uh, You haven't heard the OG sitting on top of the world. That's me sitting on top. I, I haven't. I've honestly, I, I've only heard it like in person at at jams. I've never actually. I I love the Mississippi Sheiks. Everything that I've heard, I did had no idea. Great. Yeah. yeah can't wait. Oh yeah. Okay. Don't 
It's a jam. Uh, yeah, I I'm excited to go check out that <laughs> that source recording now. Yeah, that's great. I got to, um, I got to play it. Um, actually, an old professor of mine up at Howard University, I reached out to once I got into the music because he he taught. Um, so this isn't as common in universities or common at all. African and African American music literature w- is a core course at Howard University cool. in the music department. So they talk about African music. Um, I think there's a heavy focus on West African traditions. And then they go to, um, to, to the Americas. But at one part he talks more heavily about like early blues and, um, he wasn't in, I guess, what we call the old time community, but like that level of sure. overlap. And then, of course, Mississippi yeah, ships yes. and stuff like that is right up his alley. So I reached out to him and we coordinated a um, he called it the African-American Roots Music Circle, I believe. And um, we got to go to Howard and it was um, all black string band. We got mm. to perform for the students. And um, I think we I think that was one of the tunes. I feel like I'm remembering the right event. Um, there was that, and then there was something else later. Either way, um, I got to play with Jake, and it was really great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so Jake, Jake <laughs> I remember this now. Yeah, tune. yeah, yeah. Um, cool. And I hope I'm not mixing up events. Like it's it's really cool to talk about. Period. But it was either that yeah. or at another gathering we did where um, we got to do that tune together. So before we started that tune, you told me that you had met Dean. And that he was a clawhammer banjo player. And yeah. you said that you had decided before meeting him or before learning that, that you were going to play clawhammer banjo. Yeah. And I was wondering why. <laughs> so, so um, I, I like to do musical stuff. I like to learn new stuff. And I like, I like stringy things. So what happened for a while was... Um, Christmas or birthday at be like, hey, husband, um, I want such and such instrument. So uh-huh. I think I was like, you know, what do I want to play? I tried mandolin. Um, and that I mean, that was neutral. It wasn't like the best fit, but I felt I felt OK about it. Um, hey, man- thought, mandolin's hard. <laughs> it turns mandolin's out it's <laughs> hard. I saw like a tremolo <laughs> video and I was like, I'm good. It's fine. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so you try mandolin, no mandolin. No, I mean, I can literally play some basic chords and sound like I'm having fun. That's it. Uh Um, (laughs) but I thought back to the, um, the black banjo gathering and I don't remember if I thought it through that, that hard, but I was like, Oh, cool. I can do that. So I got a banjo and I was like, now what kind of banjo do I want to play? And I just listened to some music and was like, which one sounds like something I would want to do over and over again for long periods of time and is pleasant to my ear um bluegrass is not unpleasant to my ear 
<laughs> I was going to say, and it there's only not. one kind of banjo that not. you can use for a long time. It is pleasant to the ear. <laughs> I listened to the rolls and was like, you know, it's not it's not as mellow a sound as sure. I tend to prefer. So I was like, that's mellow. What's that call? Turns out it was called Clawhammer and the rest is history. Yeah. Now I'm like an extremely mediocre claw hammer player getting gigs. Oh, <laughs> well, um, will will you play some some claw hammer and let let the audience decide? In turn, <laughs> as far as now uh, it's in the hands of the audience. Yeah, hammer's gonna put a vote button. You can upload. Yeah, to determine how, how falsely modest you're being, <laughs> whether that's extremely falsely modest. <laughs> or incredibly falsely modest. I can, I can. You just bias because you teach me. That's it. Well, well, Brandy, you're my student, so um, <laughs> it's in my best interest <laughs> that, <laughs> to talk you up. So, so better not mess us up. That's what I'm hearing here. <laughs> you're representing me right now, so. <laughs> oh Lord, no pressure, no pressure whatsoever. What are you going to play for? Um. I'm going to play an original. Good. Um, can I talk about my banjo, though? Because I my banjo is so yeah. great people. So um, this is a Pisca banjo, which I did not get directly from Pisca. Um, I actually bought it at my at my first Clifftop last year. And I bought it from... Oh, I remember when you got you that. You remember? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, th- those out there in TV land... Um, I made Cameron and Jake Blunt and everybody like listen to me agonize over what I was going to do because I was determined yes. to buy a new banjo. So they played everything. Um, I bought this from Emily and Rachel, mm. the coolest people ever um, that you just got to talk to. Yes. Yes, I talked to I talked to Rachel again for the show, but Emily has not. Um, has not made an appearance yet. I hope they will soon. Yeah, they're pretty they're pretty awesome humans and I had met them at Augusta earlier that summer and then um I saw them at Clifftop and um it was very sweet for Emily to sell me this banjo which turned out to be pretty amazing. Um and they helped me with all my Clifftop freakouts. Apparently that's a thing, but I definitely have one <laughs> and they helped me get through it. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Yes, that is absolutely a thing that should have. That should be like <laughs> your first capital C, capital F. <laughs> I absolutely had one of those. And they I have still like occasionally a, have them. Yeah, and they they have the sweetest dog who like came and and rubbed rubbed his little body on my feet because I think he could see I was so anxious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, they're great human beings. So it's like. A, a great sounding banjo with like a little extra love in it that I get to get Absolutely. to play. Yeah. Mm. All right. So this is um, it's just a tune. I don't know what this is called, but it's a tune. <laughs> Thank you. 
My heart. <laughs> oh. And on the minor four. Don't do that to me. Oh, I love it. Oh. That was what a great, great tune. Thank you. First time out of my house. I'm gonna um maybe I know like a fiddler or somebody who or or a cellist. Who who was the pair you had on Tooth by Sea? Oh, so good. That is like the best. <laughs> Shout out. Oh, they're so amazing. And so I was playing like, oh my gosh, what if what if I could have cello over this or something? Anyway. Mm. They would I'm sure they would they would love to play that. Maybe I can get in contact in contact with them one day. Yes, yeah, the uh, age of COVID, you know. This is the time to get connected with anybody. Yeah, we're meeting <laughs> literally anyone under the sun all around the globe. I have um mm. An interview next week. It's not an interview. I'm sitting on a panel in um, University of Edinburgh. I'm sitting on a panel there next week. That would not happen. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that you're going to be on that panel to talk about, um, or or as a representative of uh, decolonize the music room. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. They're having a um, like decolonizing the university. Um, I guess you could call it a conference. Um, they were going to have something physical, and when they had to cancel, they transitioned to virtual. And so there's going to be a place online where they put a lot of resources and things people have submitted. But then there's an actual um, like recorded panel bit that Great. I was very pleasantly surprised to have been asked to be a part of. Awesome. So yeah, when uh, shortly after I started getting into old-time music, I started realizing how... M- it's not it's not as much as some people make it out to be, but like there's a lot of the sort of, you know, you could say the core curriculum, the canon of um, of old time music that is in between um, sort of tastelessly racist and horrifically racist yes. and sort of everywhere <laughs> in between. And, yeah. you know, I, I from <laughs> from early in my experience of it being like I my, my feelings were like oh my god, like, what do I do? Like, I just fell in love with this music. How do I, like, you know, salvage it? And, like, I've told that story a million times on the show before, but something that you've brought to my attention, because you are a music educator, is that a lot of that same music that is sort of canonical to old-time music um, that maybe needs to not be is is even more deeply ingrained in uh, music curriculums. Yeah, there's... um. There's a bit of overlap. There's sometimes there's more than a bit of overlap. Um, and just yeah. like old time, it's not even just um, that there might be something blatantly racist or if there's a light way to be racist, <laughs> anything like that. Sure. Um, <laughs> but um, there is also music um, that the the actual history of is just obscured. So, you know, just like in old time, yeah. not knowing, you know, it's a heavily, heavily black tradition. And um, it's not a 
not so widely talked about, of course, um, more so now, thanks to the efforts of some pretty kick-ass people. Um, but in Music Ed, it's kind of like that, too, that, um, you know, you can learn unrelated to, to old time. You can learn Kumbaya all your life and not know it's a Gullah Geechee song that was from, you know, former enslaved people who have this amazing story of like retaining their language and ties to the land, but also this story oh, of um, all the the trickery and stuff that um, takes, it's, it, it goes really deep. And so it's not just the stuff we have to take out. There's some things that we are failing to celebrate. And I guess yeah, it's now time. it's like Say shorthand now. for, n- now it's like shorthand uh, for like, you know, hippies for like white hippies yeah like you know oh let's all sing kumbaya and hold hands i sort of assumed that it wasn't invented by like uh white hippies back in the day but um (laughs) i didn't know that that's yeah you're right there's so many different stories like some people are taught you know this is this Native american i've heard native american camp song it's ridiculous i've heard um (laughs) i think like West African or whatever. Yeah, so, um, you know, Kumbaya is um, Kumbaya, Kumbaya here. Um, Gullah Geechee language is own distinct um, language. It's not it's not any um, words that we would be unfamiliar with. Um, and the if you listen back to the um, older recordings, I believe it's Library of Congress, you can hear the, the oldest recorded version of it. And the way we sing it is not not how it is traditionally sung it's sung, uh, sung oh, quite interesting <laughs> you don't say <laughs> <laughs> some will recognize the tune but will definitely um get get a different sense of that style um and it's interesting i'm you know i'm from georgia my people aren't Gullah Geechee. um my mom's family's from super deep south deep south georgia ame all that stuff and i've you know, it has like its own vocal tradition and stuff. But um, even listening back, I was like, "Ooh, that sounds like a little vocally like what I am used to." It just, mm. you know, it, it feels like something I've heard before. So, uh, what is? How long has decolonized the music room been a thing now? We actually had our um, one year anniversary last month. Congratulations. We. Um, Thank you. Uh, I rolled out the website and everything back then, and um, we officially got our federal nonprofit status maybe mid-January, and it's just been kind of full steam ahead since then. Um, I've I've been, like, thinking, like, it feels like forever. It also feels like it's been super fast, you know, how my views changed. And I've been a little pleasantly surprised. I'm looking at my Facebook memories and like, oh, I always talked like this. This isn't... (laughs) (laughs) I find some old posts and there's like some stuff I've learned since then, you know, just because you grow and you learn and you get yeah. like literally more information. But like the 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 way I've been approaching things, I'm like, oh, I've been talking like that for quite a while. <laughs> I'm assuming that part of what you're talking about is your general posture towards like how to confront these issues. Yeah. And, and my, uh, um, I, I, um, how, how do I put it? Um, I have, you know, there are certain things that are supposed to be, um, this is the pomp and circumstance surrounding this thing. And this is why you need to adhere to this. And this is who this person is. And I've always been like, why, why is, you know, you why mean is, like why? people that are like 
canonized like as sort of saints in in American pedagogy. Yeah, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah uh, and it's on like, that well, scale, they, it was good enough for them. Mm-hmm. But even yeah. stuff like you know, your kids have to know how to read the pictures on the staff by sure into fifth grade. Who said that? Why? Like you know, like maybe maybe they do, maybe they don't. But um, my idea toward things has always been like, you know, just because you guys said that's the most important thing and a million people do it doesn't necessarily yes. mean doesn't necessarily mean much, you know. In my old job, I was specifically instructed to teach kids pop music. That's like basically all I did is teach yeah. pop music. And I was they specifically wanted the kids to read the 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 pop music on <laughs> like traditional like music notation, um, Western yeah. music notation, like on the staff. Yeah. And um, most pop music looks like trash on the staff. And like, <laughs> you know, like. And so I did it and like because it was it was fun to transcribe it because it doesn't exist actually transcribed. So they were like just paying me to transcribe all you this music. like one line in one space. Um, well, <laughs> I think the thing that was really I mean, first of all, like like rock guitar music on a staff looks like yeah. terrible. And, and, I, and, and I do doesn't have look to like say anything. like my my thing is coming from there's so much in pop music that has to do with like inflection where the melody doesn't change because that's not the purpose of it. So that's why I'm thinking like a lot of this because there's like all these cool things you do with your voice to make it interesting that don't always happen melodically that would make writing some stuff a little, you know, I don't know. What I was finding was that the the rhythms, if you, if you exactly transcribe them, mm-hmm. are absolutely impenetrable, like for uh-huh. uh, like... You know, it's like, I'm like trying to teach like a, you know, a first year, you know, guitarist how to um, how to play the melody that's sung to a pop song or something. And it's like, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> like, yeah, but like, I, I agree that those assumptions that they, they came from this place of like, well, yeah, you have to know how to read music. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe definitely there's there's value there but it's like why do you think that these kids right now need to learn music and you know and what is it uh, for what is the you know how does the church function how does pop music function yeah and are we going to make the kids hate yeah (laughs) hate music yeah by doing it this way and it's so interesting because, you know, like we say sight before sound, oh, sound before sight. Oh, my gosh, it's opposite. Um, sound before <laughs> sight. Um, but in real life, we we get a lot of sight before sound in ways that it's not even that it doesn't even, you know, doesn't make sense for the tradition, which it sometimes doesn't. Um, it just doesn't really make sense for children. It's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's very Absolutely. interesting. As a teacher, I've kind of struggled with that and um and like how much is it how much of it is like how i'm teaching it how much of it is just how like developmentally what's appropriate for kids and then you you know what is the district asking what is the curriculum asking but that's another thing too is that i generally (laughs) i remember i had a principal once um and you know you have like your thing you log into and you're supposed to stay on track and do this thing and this thing and I was like, yeah, I don't really pay attention to that. He was like, I know you don't pay attention to that. 
I mean, that's, that's the tricky thing I would imagine with um, getting arts programs funded. They're probably looking for some like empirical evidence, you know, that like what, what you're teaching is sticking in some way um, or is is like empirically valuable. Like, um, yeah, and I think it's more it's more than even if it's sticking is um, music in schools tends to get held up um is it does it have the same value as other content areas have? So they assess it in the same yes. way. So something we're seeing a lot is, um, and I'm I'm down in Texas, of course. And Texas is interesting um, in terms of the way that they compete and use data and stuff and standardize yeah. things. So um, something you're starting to see is um, people creating standardized tests for elementary music kids. To wow. assess like the content knowledge, there's all kinds. You can go, you know, on and on and on about the issues with the ways the different programs function and stuff. But the main thing is, um, a, a lot of the drive behind it is when you have data, people will think it's more valid and they'll be more likely to fund it. And it's like that fear of losing funding. But yeah. um, it drives stuff like there's this this thing, you know, you always hear people say like kids who do music do such and such on their SATs and blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. like super pseudoscientific to. Oh, my God. <laughs> <stuff like laughs> it's so pseudoscientific and people like live and die by that. They say that so much and there's not the proven correlation that you have. Sure. And if there were the correlation, music is music for music's sake, not for the sake of elevating something else. Thank so it's just a you, mess. Randy. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Okay, so what you're saying is that not only are you challenging um, the, 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 the explicitly racist like content that is um, uh, <clears throat> that, that is so core to um, all of the, all of this music ed curriculum, um, but you're also challenging like the ways that the systems around it um, are messed up and the testing and like those are also colonization. You're saying just everything, everything, just everything. and it, it's been interesting as the organization has morphed. Um, we kind of got into this pigeonhole thing where it's like, are your songs racist? Ask Decolonize the Music Room, you know, and it's kind of sure. been like that. And the music ad world is very fixated on we have to clean up our song list. Yes. And I'm like, how did the song list get like that in the first place? That's the real question. Yeah. So there's like all this stuff, um, even something as simple as like when you tell your choir what a beautiful vocal tone is, whose tradition oh is that based God. on? It's like that bel canto thing. <laughs> But I'm like, I like Brazilian music and it's nasal as fuck. I love it. It's yeah. the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. But in the, in like our traditional choir, they would be like, you have to open up your vowels. No, it's not. It doesn't even make sense. It, yeah. you know, and then you, you teach kids to not see all these amazing other things as beautiful. And then you have like your little lesson where it's like, and now we talk about timbre. And now you get to hear this other very strange whatever. And it just sounds like this other thing yes. where it's like, that's somebody's whole life, that's somebody's whole tradition. And it's gorgeous and it's beautiful and it's not on the periphery, um, except for the fact that we very intentionally placed it on the periphery. So, I mean, you know, listen to the way I sang the songs I sang. That would never fly sure. in um, 
teaching a teacher how to how to tell your kids to sing and how to function in the choir and all this stuff like that would never fly but i'll sing like that and the style doesn't call for singing like that and it's it's gorgeous so that's great and i mean honestly <laughs> i think i've been thinking about a lot is um the assumption is often that what is being erased is the the music and culture of non-white people. Mm-hmm. Um, but also what's being erased is the music and culture of people who have um, been racialized white and like the music, uh, the actual like folk musics and traditions that people who um, identify as white uh that's sort of been like stolen from them too. And it's like, I often think about like, how are white people going to um, change? <laughs> and ultimately it's by finding a, an appropriate way to be and an appropriate culture to, um, to identify with. And there's all this like super rich culture that also is like, I mean, old time music, for instance, to, to the extent that uh, there has been white participation in old time music, um, the like, those traditions have been uh, erased from me too. It took me a really long time to find this music, and to you know to find traditional Irish music and traditional Scandinavian music, which is some of the most interesting music I've ever heard. You know, it's like are you know, <laughs> I, I I guess I just I'm just thinking like the people get so focused on. Um, white people get so focused on the idea that they're by decolonizing they're doing something better for non-white people and it's like no you're actually like you might be getting something of value uh, from your own uh, heritage your own cultures that's been stolen from you too in the name of whiteness so I don't know I'm really excited about that some somebody who you've had on who um, talks who speaks to that is Joe Siemens who um you know, like he taught, he talks about being a white man and having to look at what his culture is because in the U.S., white people are not socialized to, you know, like we're people of color. Y'all don't have color. Y'all are just regular folks, but we're people of color, right? Um, there's this, <laughs> there's this essay by um, this guy, Glenn Singleton. He does educational work and it's white is a color exclamation point. White is a color. So um, there's like a lot of socialization around not really looking at what it is to be white and what whiteness means because there's some like pretty nasty stuff there that if you don't look at any of it, you also don't get the things about your culture that you can kind of dig through and appreciate. And um, music is interesting. So like to two points you said, one is, um, so a music kind, kind of sort of, the definition of folk is, is basically like traditional music, not notated, um, passed down orally, and um, persists because over time, what was passed down was just what stuck. You know, like you sing a song over generations, the things that stick are the things that um, that people liked, right? Sure. But it completely disconnects all the other things that happened. So, you know, like a Cecil Sharp, who's like, ah, we're not gonna go over there because those are just black folks, you know? And then that becomes folk. It becomes described as what folk and American folk music is um, from a music ed standpoint, because when you're like talking labels, folks, folk means something quite different. Um, sure. And so a lot of things get cut out because we say, well, you know, the stuff that's here was the stuff that was worth being here. No, there's like a, a crap ton of stuff that is not here yeah. for a reason, you know? 
Um, yeah, and then um, I guess like regionally, of course, you'll hear about different um, traditions of European descent. Um, but of course, you know, like American whiteness and what American whiteness has been and stuff doesn't get talked about nearly as much. It's interesting though, like in music ed, um, something I've noticed. So you learn about something from Africa and they say African song or yeah. West African song, right? But then you learn about something <laughs> yeah. from um, from Europe and they'll be like, this region of Scandinavia yeah. <laughs> and you know these islands and such and such and such yeah. so like you know I've been I've been somewhere where it's been like West African dance and then like the next hour will be like um, this is specifically from Norway from this part and this is that you know and there's like all this talking about it and people will say you know you can you can connect with somebody from the culture or whatever but it's not even like the same level of checking for it so yeah. um you might get something that people like this is there there are a couple of things or i grew up being taught this was a west african song that song wasn't even from the continent <laughs> oh not at God. all it's just it's very interesting like this the song i'm thinking of in particular um use some words from certain african languages was written by an african-american man to the tune of little Liza jane um and there's like a, huh. a story behind him creating the tune obviously but People just pass it on as this This is an African song, an African folk song. And sometimes people will tell me they imagined a story and they taught that story with the song. Oh, no. I, I just imagined that it was communicating this. It's very, it, it, it speaks to, um, it speaks to something I could go, I could yeah. go on about. But it, it really speaks to something that someone would think, this just makes sense. So here's the story. And and then it becomes canon, right? Right. And so that that's a lot of what I do is like, you know, I've said this a million times. Songs are the fruit, not the root. The root mm. is like how we got here in the first place and um, why we think certain stuff is more important than other stuff. And music, it, that was the other thing I was going to say. Um, like white Western European art song is like the highest level of musical achievement, right? Right. So it's like. Sure. Right. Teach your kids the refined music and gear them toward this level of ensemble and so on and so on. And I'm in the classroom telling my kids they're going to tell you to go to band, orchestra, or choir. But you don't have to do that because that's not the only way to make music. So let's look at some mm -hmm. other, you know, I don't say other stuff. <laughs> but like my goal this past year was like, I don't want my kids to think that like the stuff that people think is typical, you know, like the old, old dead white guys. Oh my gosh, you're going to yes. so much flat because I'm saying white <laughs> so much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like the box or whatever. Uh, my goal was to be like, I, w I want to decenter it enough that my kids don't even get the idea that that is like the main thing. Because in music ed, it is yes. the main thing and everything else is like, and now here's our special segment on the main thing. And speaking to whiteness, like this year we talked about um, the Sami people. So if y'all have yeah. seen Frozen, it's like kind of based on Sami culture. Yeah. but. They, they are like indigenous people to that area, to the Arctic Circle who have been colonized and are experiencing land loss and loss of their ways of life. And, um, you know, it's like some really cool stuff to learn about. So, like, we learned about Sami people. Yeah. Good. Anyway, sorry, I could go on. Love no, no, I love with my babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I'm so grateful for the the music education that I've had in my life. 
um, I've had some really wonderful people who have taught me. But they didn't they didn't teach me the things that I've held on to. You yeah. know? Like I loved I, I, I loved playing WC and I loved, you know, singing in choir and stuff and and I even had some good experiences playing tuba in band here and there. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> way back when I'm I, I and I still have back problems from it. Oh um, <laughs> but but ultimately uh, I I had to have some some other people who who weren't in the mainstream of music education introduced me to the things that I really love. And it speaks it's to like the divide. What, yeah. It, I feel the exact same way. My teachers were amazing, just absolutely amazing. But, you know, systemic stuff is systemic stuff, you know? Yeah. And the separation is what it is. So um, there's a lot of things I learned with like culture beers or what you know whatever that means to you and music makers and stuff that kind of cross that divide i was um even in like dealing with the banjo was like i remember growing up in music and um wasn't just in music it kind of felt like in life you know like african-american culture stuff it wasn't like hip-hop or some like very like popular mainstream thing it was you know it just wasn't really there so I I wasn't necessarily part of the cultures I was learning about in the music room. I was learning about other things, unless, you know, spirituals or a gospel or something. Um, but then, like, with the banjo and finding out the history of it, and, like, I was fortunate to get into old time and meet a, a chunk of black folks kind of fast and um, have that experience and people talking about that. And then Dean is, like, the most knowledgeable of history buffs so like he talks about everything under the sun so you know i got that and i felt like it was like a um like a piece of culture handed back you know mm. I, I had the culture but identity wise like there just was a connection that was missing so yeah. i felt like kind of being handed back something you know i felt yeah. like as a as a black person um you know i identify as a um um a black American descendant of enslaved people. That is, that's how I tend to identify if I don't have to shorten it. Um, and sure. for me, I'm not speaking for all black folk. Um, there's like a sense of loss, you know, you look up your your background, you hit that 1870 census, you know, like you, yeah. you know, and and society is kind of um, less, less explicit now, but like more implicit is that like, um, Black people didn't produce a certain level of culture outside of some very specific parts, which is like totally false. But um, mm. you you can definitely easily grow up to get educated to believe that black people just didn't have that much culture to contribute. Um, yeah. And I feel like I'm, I might have internalized that a little when I see the effect of how learning other things um you know, I see the effect of that now and I realize, oh, wow, like I really had internalized some very um, not not positive stuff. Mm -hmm. So, Well, I love that you're bringing this to the schools because you're absolutely right. That's where a lot of this starts in people's heads. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, obviously in their families and in their communities, but like school, <laughs> you spend so much time there and the things you learn there, uh, you know, the cultural things you learn there stick. Maybe not 
uh, like I don't remember how to do a quadratic e- equation, you know, but but I remember um, on a deep level, like all the cultural messages I received, um, some of them were good, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, so I love that you're that you're trying to bring this to to the schools because, um, I, yeah, so often that's like where these these battles need to be fought uh, because you're. You're talking about having access to kids' minds, which is so important. And people also will uh, fight the most violently against that because um, they, they, the people who are in control of the kids' minds want to not have to give it up. Yeah, yeah. There's and, a lot of... Yeah. Um, I've, I've had to acknowledge as a teacher the, um, the power dynamic that... Um, that exists it's you know a really big one but also it's very easy to um it's very easy to ignore the the sheer level of power that educators can have compared to kids who are more disenfranchised when it comes to that dynamic um and frankly you know teachers can get drunk on it if they're not self-aware just because anytime you're in a position of power um and teachers are held up as like the ones who know but, you know, if sure. you if you listen to people, some people have these stories about what a teacher said to them or about them, you know, and it's just like, and that was the person who's supposed to know the things, right? Um, even things like, I feel like I saw a tweet the other day where um, I want to say the, the person's talk was from Bangladesh and she was saying when she was young, um, it had come up in class um, oh, well, they had a map and the map um, split right where her country was. So it like essentially erased her country. So she tried to tell her teacher and her teacher was yeah. like, you're lying. You're Mexican. It was it was so ridiculous oh, that it's oh like God. you would never imagine stuff like that happening, except that you can find so many people who have been talked to that way or talked about that way. You know, yeah, it's scary. <laughs> Teachers hold a lot of power and they can do so much good or they can perpetuate a lot of harm or very explicitly do harm. Well, thank you for the work you're doing there. Uh, it's really exciting. Where do pe- I usually reserve this for like the right before the last tune, but where do people yeah, yeah. go to learn more about Decolonize the Music Room and give you money? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, decolonizing, it's important. Yeah, yeah. Our website is decolonizingthemusicroom.com. You can also look up Decolonizing the Music Room on Facebook. We have a public Facebook page, and then we have a private group that has grown a lot where we have discussions and kind of talk about um, our approach and just kind of help one another on another dig in. Um, on Instagram, I think we are at Decolonizing the Music Room as well. And um, donation links and stuff are all there. We have our PayPal set up. We have our Patreon set up. And um, yeah. And we we officially have our our first YouTube video. A few weeks ago, we recorded a um, really cool panel discussion that um, is up on our our YouTube. And for anyone who would like an intro into kind of what we talk about, it's a pretty cool one. Mm. Fantastic. Well, uh, let's play another tune. What do you want to play? Um, I have, I should have asked Phoenix to play a song with me. Oh, play a song with me. Hey, Phoenix, you want to play a song? So I'm recording this podcast. Do you want to do Say, Darling, Say? Are you feeling shy? Okay, you don't have to. 
he he hears the chord changes and stuff super fast. He's got his little one four five situation going on his ukulele. Oh, that's awesome. I and love now it. He, he wants to play claw hammer and um he's so used to ukulele, it's a totally different hand motion, so <laughs> he's you know, we'll we'll see. He and yeah. he and his sister have been digging it. My um my middle child has been like Every once in a while, she wants to play just so she's not left out. But she's like, "Mommy, you should know this really frustrates me. Like she just can't, <laughs> she can't handle it." <laughs> Meanwhile, my son, he since he's twelve, he's in a place where he can practice and need to repeat things yeah. and not get crazy frustrated. You want to do it? My son, are we having a play? are we having a surprise guest? We're having a surprise guest. Come sit in the chair, my man. I'm going to make some space. Uh-oh. I can't wait. Uh, this is Phoenix. Hi, Phoenix. <laughs> Phoenix is my son, and he is a really great visual artist and likes mm-hmm. music and is really into history. He's my He's one of my kids who entertains me when I start talking about, like... The systems of the country and what such and such president like he's he's the one yeah, who really yeah. <laughs> so um he picked up ukulele during the quarantine and like i said he's got a really really good ear so he's been hearing all his ones fours and fives and all that so you know we've had a couple of times of just jamming and um he said he was down to play say darling say with me oh, all right again. <laughs> can't wait <laughs> Darling, say, living in the hollow beneath the old oak tree. 
can't hear him. Yes, Phoenix. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well done. All right. I usually don't get surprise uh, guests on Get Up in the Cool, like in the <laughs> middle of an interview. It's so good. I want more. <laughs> he mm. hears the music. He comes around and likes to jam. I got a kid who wants to jam. I'm so excited. <laughs> So before we do this last song, and before you introduce it, where do people go if people want to keep up with what you're doing, decolonizing the music room, uh, the website, the Patreon, Facebook, Instagram, and also you got Pace and Barber. Pace and Barber, we have our our Facebook page. Um, Brandy Pace has a Facebook page. Um, brandypace.com as a website the um the nonprofit is taking up um a pretty big chunk of my bandwidth right now but i still i still have other stuff and i still post and um you know it's said with the quarantine that pace and barber can't do what we would be accustomed to doing but i look forward to being able to play play with dean again we'll actually be um together on friday for those who are participating in um the augusta heritage center's um, their, their second week of programming, we'll be doing a um, cultural session together talking about um, our kind of like inter interracial, intergenerational thing we do and how. Yes. Yeah, we've had to talk about a lot of stuff. Um, I'm very fortunate that Dean is who he is because everyone I encounter um, isn't game for the type of conversation necessary to like really be able to dig in with the music and um yeah he and i can can really talk and um you know really really be be friends about it but but also sometimes you know do this and and get over it it's you know it's cool yeah that's that's fantastic i think there needs to be more kind of frank conversation um i think even even non just interracially but intergenerationally how how do we talk to each other and how do we like take care of each other yeah and how do we and how do we fight and and make up and like all of that stuff is really complicated uh and then especially once you start throwing in um other complicating factors yeah dealing with uh, so the complex that, that sounds parts really great period. yeah yeah um and and i will say like to dean's credit I mean, you know, I'm just super blunt. Like, I'm just going to talk about certain things. I, I remember, um, <laughs> I remember being in a um, in a jam, and um, it was me and it was it was a jam at at somebody's house. It was me and like I don't know, like six white dudes, right? And one of them turns to the other one and says, "Oh, have you ever seen that movie um, Song of the South?" Oh, great. <laughs> and I was like, he, he was like, no, I haven't seen it. And I was like, oh, that movie's real racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so racist that most people didn't even get to see it. They did get to see <laughs> That's it. That's how racist. This guy was like, you know, I have like a VHS copy I can lend you or something. And I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like I didn't realize until later, like, what someone else might have thought through more carefully yeah. just blurting that out like i mean i'm gonna say it anyway but i was like oh i guess that might be considered a bold exclamation to have yeah. <laughs> considering the setting <laughs> oh my god so it's 
it's great it's great that you have that you have him there to to back you up <laughs> yeah and i mean so yeah. you know back then you know at jam sometimes he'd be there at jam sometimes he wouldn't and so it would just you know either way i just be like i guess i'm guess i'm saying the thing um yep. i remember like i didn't know the words to yellow rose of texas because oh, I'm no. not I'm not a native Texan. So like we're, you know, playing and I'm looking at the notebook and I was like, what? We're not we're not gonna do this song. No, we're not doing this. Now we have actually our last <laughs> song, uh, which is uh Fort Worth Blues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is appropriate because you're in Fort Worth and I'm assuming the blues occasionally happens there, um, <laughs> to people there and has. Yeah. The blues, because um, it's not a blues. <laughs> it's not a blues. It's not a blues. Oh, nah. oh well, there it's you go. It's just a good old, like, kind of chill country something. So this is um, it's a Steve Earle tune, a Steve Earle song. Um, and it was written for Towns Van Zandt, who um, he considered a mentor. And we'll we'll have to save the, the whole Fort Worth Van Zandt lineage for a whole other um, podcast episode, because there's some... Oh, okay. There's some stuff in there. <laughs> N- nice and simple, cute story. Is uh, <laughs> I'm um, assuming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for for being on the show. It's um, it's it's tough finding finding guests right now, and anyone who's willing to be on the show, I'm so I'm so grateful. But uh, I've been wanting to have you on for, for quite a while. So thank Yay! you for doing this. Thank you for having me. This was yeah. fun. This was just a recorded version of what we do anyway, so very cool. Yes.
Visit the Decolonizing the Music Room website at decolonizingthemusicroom.com to donate via Patreon or PayPal and find out more about the organization. You should also like and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. While you're adding new likes and follows, don't forget to add Brandy Pace's music page on Facebook, as well as the page for Pace and Barber. You can support Get Up in the Cool at patreon.com slash getupinthecool, order a t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up in the Cool's Teespring store, Make sure to like and follow Get Up in the Cool on Facebook so you can see the video I posted from this episode and share it with the world. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional banjo series. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set. It's available in all the same places as Get Up in the Cool. And everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool.